The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. Across the USA and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen overnight. I'm Gary McNamara. I'm here. Eric has laryngitis. He's not. I am. I know. Yep. He was out last week. Uh, not because he was sick. He was doing marketing for the show and apparently talking so much about how great we are with all humbleness that uh, he got uh, some uh, real bad laryngitis. He told me it's, he, I feel sorry for him. He said it's, um, he can't, he has no voice at all. This was text, by the way. <laughs> no, I don't want when you have when you can't talk at all. I don't want to hear you. <laughs> Nothing more irritating than a person with laryngitis trying to speak to you. <laughs> but no, uh, he uh, he said his throat really hurts when he tries to talk. So I hope what you know hope he gets whatever medicine he needs and he's back ASAP because he's missing great stuff. You know with the with uh, Trump confirming that he will now uh, show up. Uh, he'll, I guess he's leaving what? He'll be either uh, at his hotel or he'll be at the his hotel in uh, New York or at the Trump Tower, not uh, that he'll be there by um, noon or he's leaving at noon, whatever. But he will be there. So has confirmed it. So I just had a look at the Babylon Bee headline. What will unfold next? This is the Babylon Bee now. Trump will take the best, most beautiful mugshot the world has ever seen. The entire NYPD will wait in line to take selfies with him. Trump will be stripped nude and marched through the city with the pagan priest yelling shame and ringing a bell. This is my favorite. Trump will escape prison by slowly tunneling his way behind a poster of Stormy Daniels. Everybody know the reference? Shawshank Redemption? Yes. And finally, this may be the best one, every other politician will also be arrested for their crimes. And there's a bahaha, just kidding. Well, where are we now? I, I think the, the consensus 
uh, is is pretty solid. The Associated Press coming out and saying, you know, in in an, another leak, and that's one of the questions. Dirt, uh, Alan Dershowitz talking about that. All these leaks. Why isn't Bragg? These are serious leaks. Why isn't Bragg saying these need to stop? We're going to prosecute. Nothing. But the Associated Press, we got. There'll be multiple counts, and there's at least one felony. It's like okay, so it's sort of what we ex- what we expected so far. The only other thing you saw over the weekend was the media, including the New York Times and National Review. I think it was Dan McLaughlin wrote about it, where the New York Times came out and said, you know, that there's no information on this. All the Republicans are talking about it. We we don't know what the indictment is. And Dan McLaughlin said, yeah, that really stopped you from talking about Russiagate. That went on with three years without any charges. So now the standard from Democrats is there must be charges before Republicans can talk about it. Is that what you guys did all these years with with Trump? But the other point he brought up is, and he went through all the different articles written by the New York Times over the last couple of weeks about Trump and what the indictments might be about. The reason they got to that point, and I saw that picked up on social media over the weekend, is because they can't talk about what we know so far. And what we know so far and what we have stated, we've stated it. Everybody has stated it. Everybody that, whether it's Trump's lawyers, uh, I have some uh, comments from Bill Barr. I don't know if it includes that one, but he started out the conversation, the interview, former uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, stating, well, from what we know, You know, we don't have the indictment here, but from what we know, from the leaks, from the witnesses to the grand jury, from everybody knowing what the basic case is about, as I've stated, the the whole McDougal thing, I don't know if there's something there that could change it, and there might be something that they may try to uh, throw out that is unrelated to all of this. Uh, But the fact is you haven't heard anything yet. And there's, I would say there's been almost universal condemnation. And I, I mean, even from the left, that this is weak. From what we know, it's weak. Unless something comes out of left field and then we'll judge it. And, you know, we'll analyze it and tear it apart when that comes out. Uh, But it seems like the you know, basic uh, consensus, well, is I have this uh, interview from Bill Barr over the, over the uh, weekend uh, on uh, Fox Business, and I think he covers most of what we have covered. Well, according to news reports, the, uh, the, the, the threshold crime is false business records. Uh, apparently reporting payments that were made to reimburse Michael Cohen, who had paid off uh, Stormy Daniels, and the characterization of those payments as legal payments. And the claim is that that's false and therefore violated a misdemeanor statute uh, in the first instance against false documents. I actually don't think that's a valid claim in this case because the statute actually requires uh, that it be done with the intent to defraud. Mm. So if you have false business records, you know, and you're committing insurance fraud or some other kind of fraud where some value is taken from somebody else and you falsely get uh, value in your own name, uh, then the false records would be a misdemeanor. Uh, But I don't 
understand the basis for a fraud claim here. But then they take this misdemeanor, which also has a problem with the statute of limitations, and they try to shoehorn it into a, into a felony by claiming that the reason the document was falsified, the documents were falsified, was to cover up another crime. In this case, they're assuming that the payments were a campaign finance uh, violation because they were effectively a contribution to the Trump campaign. I can tell you that's not the law. I don't think that's how the Justice Department would view it. It wasn't brought by the Justice Department during uh, the Trump administration, but even after the Trump administration left, there was no inhibition on the Department of Justice to bring this federal claim if they thought it was valid, and it was never brought. So uh, aside from that, uh, I think it's quite clear under the law that uh, payment, I'm going to call it hush money, I don't like mm -hmm. that term, but payments of hush monies to keep, you know, affairs or other things like that uh, secret uh, are not inherently unlawful. The question under the statute is, was it a campaign contribution? I think the law is quite clear it is not. And in fact, uh, I think uh, Merrick Garland, when he was a D.C. Circuit judge, wrote an opinion along these lines relating to Senator Craig, Larry Craig. But put that aside... Under the statute, it would be a personal payment, a payment of a personal expense, and that is not a violation of the statute if it's the kind of payment that would have been made even apart from the campaign. And I think there's a compelling argument here that when you're dealing with a private company that's named after its founder, it's an eponymous company, mm. Trump, uh, of course uh, there, would, there would be payment to uh, protect the reputation uh, of of the owner of the corporation. So I think it's a weak case altogether. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to accomplish what I think its political purpose, which is to uh, inject chaos into the Republican process. I actually think probably the governing intent here is to help Trump and have all the news focused on this kind of stuff for the next couple of years uh, and, uh, you know, turn the Republican primary into a circus. Uh, and as you said uh, later on, that uh, he believes the, the goal of the Democrats is uh, let Trump, you know, this will ensure Trump wins the primary, and then they believe he'll lose the general election uh, because uh, of it. And so that's their, their whole goal is uh, what he believes. But, you know, when the, those two things really that have come out, you know, more in the last week, uh, which was the whole, well, wait a minute, where's the intent to defraud? Who gets defrauded here? You, the, the payment itself is not illegal. Okay, the payment itself, the hush money itself is not illegal. So then you take the, you in your own records and a book, whatever, and you jot down, uh, you know, whatever, uh, uh, you know, legal payments. Uh, and you're not attempting to commit, as he said, insurance fraud or tax fraud. You're not actually defrauding any. Nobody is defrauded. Nobody has had anything taken away from them. It's like, so where's the fraud? You have to have fraud in order to do it, to jot down something in a ledger that's your own ledger and not use it in a way to take something from somebody else, how serious of a crime is that? And then to take that and attach it to a 
campaign, a federal campaign finance law that the FEC and the Department of Justice didn't see anything there and claim that's the other crime if that's all he has. There's just something in, I know. I'm, I know in a way he's, this DA is delusional because of the whole, you know, armed robbery thing that he wished to not charge people with the felony if they committed an armed robbery with the firearm as long as they didn't shoot the gun. That's delusional in itself. And, but still, I, I, I shake my head saying, there's got to be something else here. You can't walk in and be this embarrassed. I don't know if that's all he has. I don't know. How I don't know how this ever makes it to trial, and if it does, you know what? It, what an embarrassment because it's just there's there's nothing there's nothing there. And the other point I guess would be when you talk about a campaign finance problem, if he used campaign money, you could say, yeah, okay, fine. But as I saw an analogy made over the weekend. If he used campaign money to do this to pay it off, well, then that would be a campaign you know, violation like Hillary had with the dossier and had to pay $113,000. But the Department of Justice didn't go after him. They didn't. But as I saw over the weekend, somebody made the analogy, well, you know, if, he, if Trump bought a suit with his personal money and campaigned in it, would that be a campaign violation? Because he used the suit for camp, you know, for to to campaign in, and also wore in you know personally. Well, you don't know. All the reasons, all the reasons could be true, but you're not using campaign dollars, and it's a personal expense. Like I said, I just don't. I I still just shake my head. I still don't get it. If that's all there is, you just sit there and say there's got to be something else. But one of the things that makes me highly suspicious again is all these leaks. And they have to be coming from the DA side. And, you know, one would guess. I mean, if people in knowledge of what the charges are going to be, you know, unless you've got, you know, somebody in the grand jury that's talking. So somebody in the media knows somebody in the grand jury. And I wouldn't want to be that grand juror. But. Even in the case, you as Bragg would say, we're going to get to the bottom of these leaks, right? Well, you've heard nothing on that, nothing. 866-90-RED-EYE. Between corn and soybean acreage, the economics seem to favor corn, and that is what producers have told USDA. In Friday's USDA Perspective Plantings report, producers indicating they'll plant 92 million acres to corn this spring. That's up 4% or 3.4 million acres more than last season, would be a little bit more than most private analysts had expected. On the soybean side, farmers are expected to keep acreage almost exactly the same as last year at 87.5 million acres, up a tiny fraction one-tenth of one percent from a year ago. That would be about what most analysts expected. Meanwhile, wheat acreage will be around 49.9 million acres, up 9% from a year ago. Winter wheat, 37.5 million acres, would be up 2% from USDA's previous estimate, 13% from a year ago. Finally, producers for one crop planning on cutting back sharply on acreage. Cotton growers looking to cut plantings by 18% from last year at only 11.3 million. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This report is made possible by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium Diesel and Sitco Lubricants. 
We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has laryngitis, so uh, we'll see. Hopefully he gets well soon. Uh, talking about the the leaks, the Associated Press leak that came out on Friday uh, from, uh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, in the know, and you're saying, okay, so if somebody's in the know, they either have to be in the DA's office or they have to be, you know, one of the actual grand jurors. That's actually, you know, saying what's going on and leaking, which is, as Alan Dershowitz talks about here, is a crime. And just very briefly, you'd have to say, well, the leaks, if they're coming from the DA's office, why? What are they trying? What's the narrative they're trying to set up? Because the narrative right now doesn't doesn't help them at all. Nothing that we have heard from the leaks has actually, you know help them so why why are these leaks coming out and why is not Bragg making it public that he wishes to go after whoever is making the leaks this is what Dershowitz starts talking about here in uh, this comment why are we hearing about leaks and Bragg isn't investigating whether the leaks come from his office the grand jury it's a five-year felony if any of this happened here's a crime being committed right under his nose that he's not prioritizing for prosecution instead we're waiting to see what the indictment uh, says look the indictment will be stronger in many ways it's not going to include a videotape of donald trump killing somebody on fifth avenue but it may include some things that have tax implications or other things but essentially it grows out of a 
non-disclosure agreement and a payoff of $130,000 to a former porn star. That's not the basis on which you stop a man from running for president against somebody in your own party who is the president. It takes a bar that has to be very high before a Democrat who's elected DA on a platform of Get Trump goes after somebody who's running against the head of his party. That needs a high bar. That high bar, I promise you, will not be reached in this indictment, even if it's stronger. And we have to keep our mind open because none of us has seen the indictment. Probably will. It'll probably be leaked, and there probably won't be a criminal investigation of that. Oh. <laughs> That's going to be leaked in the next day that we've actually found out what's in the indictment? That'd be interesting. And there won't be a criminal investigation on that. You can tell he doesn't like this. <laughs> Dershowitz does not like Bragg. <laughs> Now, the one thing is, Dershowitz did hold up earlier in the interview because his book is Get Trump. And he said, I didn't come up with that, you know, that headline. That didn't come from me. The title of the book didn't come from me. That's what Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, and Bragg both said. They both said, we're here to get Trump. And he said, so they made it known. Because that's really the incredible part. They made it known to everybody. This is our goal. Our goal is to get Trump. We're going to do whatever we can to get Trump. And so it's like we've targeted the person. Now we have to form the crime around him. And so you know, I, it'd be interesting when Dershowitz said the the actual uh, you know indictment will be stronger. Maybe it will be. I, I don't know. But whatever, again, he would have to find where uh, Trump used that ledger for, you know, fraud purposes, actual fraud purposes, to not pay taxes or whatever. And did he even get that involved in that issue, or does an accountant do that all for him? threat to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. Well, certainly we can demonize you too, right? If everybody else is demonizing, why can't we? You're not an American unless you download our app. You're evil. You're, you're Hitler if you don't download our app. <laughs> download our app today or you're Hitler. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've moved past Hitler. It's Mussolini now, right? Because we're dealing with fascists. I apologize uh, for not being up to date on that one. All right. right, uh, Another audio cut here. This is former Trump White House uh, Deputy Press Secretary Hogan uh, Gidley uh, was on News Nation, and they were asking him basically how Trump will take advantage of this after tomorrow, how he'll take advantage of this politically. Well, I do think they're talking about how they can use this to their advantage. I focused on two ways. I'm sure Donald Trump can come up with more. You pointed it out. He is the ultimate consummate showman. 
But he also knows how to work the crowd. He knows how to get people on his side. You see that with massive fundraising numbers, too. But from a political standpoint, understand Donald Trump spiked above 50 percent in popularity last year in August. Remember what happened in August? It was the Mar-a-Lago raid. The same thing, I think, politically applies here. And that is when the American people feel as though someone is being attacked unjustly, they will rally around that person. 62% of Americans right now believe that this is a politically motivated attack on Donald Trump. That includes 70% of independents. So despite the fact that the mainstream media continues mm. to say this is all legitimate, Alvin Bragg is the champion of champions. He is our hero. He is doing this just for the, for the goodness of the legal system. The American people aren't buying it because they've seen this play out too many times at this point, and they're not going to listen to those crying wolf. Uh, it's something that we have pointed out a number of times, that that uh, a poll that came out. And that came out, oh, what, a week and a half ago? That was an early poll that was done, and we said, as this continues to go on and we find out more information uh, on it, you know, what will the public think? The numbers may be higher now. Now, with... The ability of Trump to take advantage of it, that could be stopped if the judge says there's a gag order. You can't talk about this. And when I saw that yesterday about the the, uh, the sources are saying or not sources inside the the lawyers representing uh, Trump is that they believe a gag order will be put on it. Now, you can talk about the constitutionality of a gag order. Uh, you know, you'll hear number one: the gag order is put on to protect the the so to uh, assure that there is a fair trial being done here. Well, there is no constitutional there is no constitutional dictate for a fair trial for the prosecution. It's a fair trial for the defendant. If the defendant doesn't care what the other side is going to say because they're going to say it's going to be leaked anyway, whatever they wish to uh, to leak. Well, why does there have to be a gag order? I think at that point the judge will say, well, it's just not about a fair trial for you. It is about I am concerned with the uh, jury being tainted. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he said by you pointing at Trump. And I will not deal with a tainted jury. How do you reverse something like that? I don't know. And now you know that, you know, Trump took off on the the, the judge, and uh, his one of his lawyers uh, actually said, "Well, you know, the president believes he can't get a fair trial that the judge is biased. Do you believe that?" And he said, "No." So there's there's where we are right then, but. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the well, when I saw the gag order, one of the first things I thought of was <laughs> the question. And it's not a question until a year from now, if this ever makes it to trial. And if this, if this is all Bragg has, I have serious reservations that it will ever make it to trial. If he has more, if he can prove, if he can prove fraud, you know, that you're, you had an intent to defraud Somewhere that would be the key. How he gets there, I don't know. That could be part of the McDougal thing. That you know, if he used it in any way for tax or insurance purposes, whatever, to defraud somebody, that would be the only way that I could say, okay, he's got something. Unless it's totally off into some other direction of some other crime 
that we don't even know of whatsoever. You know, they're accusing him of harassment or assault or something like that. That would I mean that would be completely outside the scope of what we're looking at here, and there is no indication at all that that is the uh, that that is the uh, the the case. Uh, let me go here to another audio cut, and this is uh, from uh, Trump uh, attorney. This is a Trump attorney for the classified documents case, uh, Jim uh, Trusty, who was also on uh, News Nation and was asked basically is I mean is is there something else here that it's a question that we've asked that I just ask again is there something here that we're not thinking about is there some direction that he could be going in because part of the criticism over the weekend and you got it from the New York Times you got it you saw it on social media it was the main defense Republicans need to stop talking about this because they don't know what's in the indictment even though everybody on the left has talked about possibly what's in the indictment I think they ran out of the fact of, of any type of defense of that that narrative of what people believe of where the legal experts believe this trial is going or what Bragg actually has. They couldn't defend it any longer, and so therefore you just attack and say, well, we don't know what the indictment is going to be, and so we shouldn't be commenting on it. Well, you did. And as Dan McLaughlin pointed out, the New York Times saying the same thing over the weekend. He said, you've covered the story. And boy, that's hypocritical. Did we wait for charges with Donald Trump and Russia collusion? Or were people calling him a traitor? And now we know Trump was completely, totally, not only not guilty, he was innocent. He never had anything to do with any Russia collusion the only campaign that did was a Hillary campaign. And she got fined for using campaign money, $113,000, to set up Trump. To create the lies to set up Trump, she actually committed a campaign violation by stating that the money was just going to legal fees instead of opposition opposition research. She used the campaign money, and we've used that that situation as an example of why you can't make the case for trump but you could for hillary clinton but that's a question that was asked uh, uh, to jim trusty the trump uh, attorney is there something we're not looking at here no i think it's more likely that they're just overplaying each incident in other words try, trying to triplicate charges for every sort of payment remember non-disclosure agreements and hush money payments are completely lawful. I mean, we've got a whole congressional slush fund set aside to deal with sexual harassment claims. So this is pretty, uh, pretty innocuous stuff, pretty tame stuff, not criminal. And so uh, again, we'll wait and see. You never know. Maybe there's something we well, didn't anticipate in I, terms I, of where I, the grand jury is going. Not, I know you say it's not criminal, but but falsifying business records, technically under the law is a misdemeanor. If it's used to cover up another crime, it is a felony. You talk about this, and we've talked about this before, this novel legal theory that's kind of on shaky ground. Walk our viewers real quick, if you can, why it's so shaky. And you mentioned the statute of limitations, which I think can also be an issue. Just explain why why we think this might be a problem. Sure. Well, the statute of limitations part is easy. Misdemeanors are done years ago. Two-year statute of limitations, if I recall correctly. They have to prove a felony by bootstrapping this kind of higher intent 
to one of the misdemeanors to even be in the door for a potential statute of limitations, uh, you know, non-violative statute of limitations situation. That what I'm getting at is that even without the aggravated intent that would cause anything to be considered a felony, you have to have an intent to defraud, which means literally under New York case law, if I enter something falsely in a business record, I have to be doing it because I am about to obtain or trying to obtain money or something of property from somebody else. If you internally write things in a, in a vanilla way or even a deceitful or misleading way in your own records, that by itself is not a misdemeanor. And that's, right. that's what's being glossed over. And again, I think if, if they don't have something much more creative to play with, and it's already on the, the high end of legal gymnastics, you'll see a motion to dismiss that should be treated okay. uh, you know, very expeditiously. There you go. Yeah, because if you think about it in New York State, and I, I was thinking about you send away <laughs> your, your, your buying porn. <laughs> That's a business transaction. But you write it down in your checkbook as something else. In order to protect it, so none of your your significant other doesn't see is that's the only thing I could think of at the moment is is that is that fraud or do you have to have well okay you do have an intent to defraud your wife so she doesn't know that you've actually bought porn and not other films <laughs> other regular films but you haven't taken any money away from her you don't want her to know but there is no loss nothing is stolen. And so I think that that is, you know, that's one of the uh, the, the keys. And um, and the other thing is, I, th- I think for the fraud case, um, again, there was no intent to defraud unless they can prove it. But from what we know, there was not. And then in the campaign finance, there was no campaign money involved in it. There's no campaign money. So it was a personal expense. How do you prove it wasn't? You know, unless you've got Trump saying, I'm only doing this so I can win the election. Maybe, but the feds didn't have that on them. And the FEC didn't have it on them. And they interviewed the same same people. So, uh, like I said, it's going to be an interesting, uh, I'm really interested to see what the actual charges are. I, th- I think everybody is. Because this has really been reviewed across the board. And the other thing I wonder, because when we had talked about uh, his former uh, deputy press secretary talking about the fact that 62% of Americans believe it's political, we've gone over this time and time again. I don't think this is really, you know, some of the issues out there, if you tried to go back on the dossier in Russia collusion, that got quite complicated. This is actually quite simple. I think people understand it. Okay, uh, you had you had this misdemeanor crime. Uh, statute of limitations is over. All right. Uh, you're tr- I, I, and I think the attempt to defraud is something that's real easy. Okay, you wrote it in your book, but did you make any money off it? Did you screw over the insurance company? Did you not pay your taxes? And did you use that fraud to do that? Well, if not, mm. and then you're trying to tie it to a campaign finance violation, which the Department of Justice wouldn't go for. And neither would the Federal Elections Commission? Really? I think most people would look at that and say, this is a political prosecution. And I don't think it's that hard for most people to understand and tie it together. And it's been repeated so many times over the last couple of weeks that I think most Americans probably understand it, look at it and go, okay. Talking to a friend who hates Trump. Just 
hates. Used to like him, doesn't anymore. He said, I don't like him at all, and I wish he'd get out, but this is BS. It's like, yeah. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Hopefully, Eric is back tomorrow. He's got laryngitis. Ugh. Hope he is. Ugh. He's got to be back by tomorrow. He's got to be back by Tuesday morning, Wednesday, or Tuesday night, Wednesday morning show. He has to be without question. There's no way I can do a show, uh, you know, and, and go through what the charges are without Eric. He's got to be here. All right. We're going to demand he be here, even if he can only grunt. That's that's cool, Eric. This is really this interesting to see where this is going. McDonald's uh, Corporation temporarily closing its U.S. offices this week as it prepares to inform corporate employees about layoffs undertaken uh, as part of a broader company restructuring. The Wall Street Journal reported McDonald's said in an internal email last week to U.S. employees and some international staff that they should work from home from Monday through Wednesday so it can deliver staffing decisions virtually. Signage outside of McDonald's uh, Corporation Fast Food Restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, on, on, uh, on oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong thing here. During the week of April 3rd, we will communicate key decisions relating to roles and staffing levels across the organization, the company said in a message viewed by the Wall Street Journal. During the week of April 3rd, we will communicate key decisions related to roles and staffing levels across the organization. It's really fascinating because they haven't said how many people it's going to be. You just wonder, how many is it going to be? You know, and this is this will be from the court, you know, obviously from the the uh, the corporate uh, uh, staff. And so you look at it. I just wonder fast food in general because of COVID and because of inflation. You know, you sometimes you look at the sticker shock if you go to a fast food restaurant that I don't go to uh, often. But if you walk in and you have sticker shock, my thought's always been, when is the point where you say, why should I buy that when I go to a regular restaurant? But everything is changing. Inflation affects everyone all the time. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. 
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.